1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. The first event following the rapture of the saints is the judgment seat of Christ. So the next few weeks, we're going to look at what's going on in heaven during those seven years. And then we'll come back and look at what's going on on earth in the great uh, tribulation. The judgment seat of Christ. It is a time of uh, understanding that we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 11. The Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Uh, several verses of scripture, if you want to jot down some references. Romans 14, verses 8 through 10, in a passage where the Lord is challenging us to make certain that we're not sitting in judgment on one another, but he makes a statement in that passage. In verse number 10, he says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Or 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, talks about that analogy, how we're all running a race, but we run that we may receive the prize. So these are all talking about a time when we will give, uh, when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Several things to take note of tonight. Number one, what is the word that we get this term judgment seat what is the broader application or implication well it comes from a phrase a greek word that speaks of the bema seat the bema seat was a really comes out of from first century the apostle paul uh an athletic contest primarily it was a raised platform that the victor in the race would go before and they would receive their victor's crown. Generally, it was a woven wreath of some form, uh, but that was what was given. And it was, uh, it was a reward. It was an honor. It was a presentation. So the, the idea behind the term bima, or that which we translate in the English judgment seat, is that of honor, reward, prominence, more than judgment or justice. So we go before the Bema seat individually for reward based on what has happened here on earth. Just like the athlete stands before that Bema seat because he won the race, 
and is given that laurel wreath, so each of us will appear before that judgment seat as well. The second thing I want you to think is when will this happen? Well, I've already mentioned it, that it will happen shortly after the rapture. Shortly after the rapture. Now, there is no verse that specifically states that to be the case, but there are several reasons why we come to that conclusion. Uh, one is uh, in Luke chapter 14, verse 14, the Bible says, And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So the Lord was saying, you're not going to receive your war, uh, rewards here and now, but at the resurrection of the just, when the saints are raptured out, that's when the uh, rewards will be given. Or uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 and 2 Timothy 4, 8 both speak of there being rewards in that day, a reference to when we will be raptured. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, in fact, you can turn over there. Revelation chapter 4. And notice verse number 1, which I would argue is referencing the rapture when at the end of verse number 1, it says, um, I heard as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show these the things which must be hereafter. So that gives the idea of saints being called out. Then look down at verse number 11. Well, verse number 10. Right after the rapture, it talks about the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So the picture there is uh, these 24 elders, which represent the believers. They are portrayed as already receiving their rewards, casting their crowns back at Jesus' feet before the start of the tribulation period. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And, and 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So these all happen prior to the Lord's return to the earth to establish his thousand year reign. So they all happen during that seven years when the tribulation is going on. So basically the order of events is the Lord comes in the air, doesn't come to the earth. It is not his second coming. It is his calling out the saints, the rapture. The dead in Christ are raised first. We which are alive and remain shall join them. And we go with the Lord. The Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then for believers, that's all that are there. There is the judgment seat of Christ the marriage supper of the Lamb while the tribulation is going on here on earth. Now this is a little maybe obvious, but the place would be heaven. Because 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 uh, talks about we are caught up together with him. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 
describes that as believers, we're absent from the body. We're present with the Lord. So we're going to be where he is. If it's not heaven, he's not revealed it anywhere in scripture. But I would assume, and I think correctly so, that it is in heaven. Well, who will be the judge at this Bema seat? It will be Jesus Christ himself. The Bible repeat, uh, gives that uh, statement in several places. John 5, 22. For the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. Romans 14, 10. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And repeatedly, it is identified as Christ's judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5.10 being another place. So it is the Lord himself who will be exercising judgment in his omniscience. Who is going to face his judgment? Only believers. Only believers. When Jesus comes at the rapture, the dead in Christ rise, but those dead in their sins remain. When those who are alive in Christ are caught out, those who are alive and yet unsaved enter into the tribulation. So only believers are in that assembly when this judgment takes place. Those not saved uh, uh, are facing their own judgment, which comes later. And in fact, uh, if we were to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, and we, and we, and we, talking about believers along with him. What is the basis for this judgment? What exactly are, is being judged? I mean, we read in our text that if we build upon the foundation of Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. So it is not a judgment regarding our salvation. That judgment is settled. Remember the Lord's promise in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, when he said, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So once we receive God's salvation, Christ removes our sins from us, they aren't going to be brought back and held against us. So it's not a judgment for our sin. And before I tell you what the Bible says we are going to be judged for, let me just remind you that there are three judgments that we face as believers. One, the judgment for our sin was dealt with at the cross. Final, finished, because that's past, present, and future sin. All of our sin was after the cross. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So uh, when, when we got saved, all of our sin was judged at the cross. We, Romans 8, 1, there's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. So we're secure in our salvation. So the judgment seat has nothing to do with 
uh, are we really going to enter into heaven or not? Are we really saved or not? No, that was settled at the cross when you put your trust in Christ. But there is a second judgment that we all face, and that's a daily judgment. We don't often refer to it that way, but it's Romans 12, where our Heavenly Father chastens us as his children. And you know if your father's chastening you. But this judgment here in 1 Corinthians 3, it speaks about a fire judgment. Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. It shall be, re be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. As you study the Bible, fire is a picture of the holiness of God. You find that in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 8. And you find that in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. So there's two obvious groupings of judgment. There is the gold, silver, precious stone judgment. That is that which will last through the fire. It won't be consumed. It deals with not only what we do, but it deals with our motivations. It deals with the Holy Spirit working through us. It deals with anything that uh, brings honor and glory to the Lord. Whereas wood, hay, and stubble deals with that which does not last. It can represent carnal attitudes. It can represent doing the right thing with the wrong motives. It can, it, it can represent selfish ambition and all of those things. So there are three specific things though that the Bible speaks of that we will deal with at this judgment. Not our, not our sin that was cleansed at the cross, but how these things impact our life for the Lord. First of all, obviously, it is our actions. Our actions. Psalm 62, 12. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. What we do, how we serve, what that means, what's a, what, what the motivation of that ministry is, Souls that are led to Christ. Encouragement that is given to Christians to keep them in the fight. And all of those things that are part of Christian living that need to be bearing out fruit in our life. But not only actions, the Bible speaks about our thoughts. Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. What, are, what is in the heart? That's our thoughts. It's what nobody else knows, but God knows. And he goes on to say, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Our thoughts. But thirdly, and maybe more frightening than any of it, is our very words. Our words. Jesus said, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account of in the day of judgment. Have you ever really meditated on that? Every idle word. 
It's not only what we say, but how we say it. It's, it's you know, it, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind when you speak to people. It doesn't, it doesn't, please and thank you are not just for children. Showing appreciation. And, and in the ministry, when our life is to be an encourager and exhorter, God holds us accountable. Our, our very works for Corinthians 3.13 is brought into the scrutiny of God's all-knowing eye. Every man's work shall be made manifest. You know, it's not just doing right. So many times people think, well, I'm faithful. I, I, I'm there. I'm in the service. I do this ministry or that ministry. But God looks beyond what you do to why you do it. Why? Is it pride? Is it so people think well of you? Is it because you just want to serve the Lord? The other day on social media, I saw this uh, little clip. Somebody put it up and I shared it. Showed a man in a wheelchair on a church platform and he was a member of that person's church. And they said, oh, brother so-and-so, he just wants to serve the Lord. He's vacuuming. You say, well, what's a big deal about that? He's confined to a wheelchair. He's vacuuming. He just wants to serve the Lord. Empty auditorium. Nobody knew, as far as I could tell. Why do we do what we do? The examination to reveal what we do in our life, the things done through our lives, is to determine whether it's worthwhile or worthless. You know you can do the right thing with the wrong attitude and end up with the wrong result. It's not just what we do. You know, uh, from, from pastoring to being a deacon, to being a Sunday school teacher, to being a musician, to being a, a bus driver, to whatever we do. It is what is the Lord see in the heart that is the motivation for why we do it. And, and this examination is through God's eternal torch test. We've been entrusted with abilities. We've been entrusted with time, we've been entrusted with treasure, and the Lord is looking for what kind of a steward we have been. He expects us to use what he's given us for his glory. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. The passage is talking about verse 8, uh, having fervent charity among ourselves. Verse 9, using hospitality one to another. Verse 10, as every man hath received the gift, so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is the giver of spiritual gifts. And we are to exercise those gifts in obedience to the Lord, being a good steward of those gifts so that we are giving a return on God's investment. Remember the parable of the talents? The Lord wants us to use what he gives us for his glory and will be examined how we did, as to how we did. Then notice, last of all, the result of this examination. Back in our text, verses 14 and 15. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. One of two things is going to happen. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we stand individually, we don't stand corporately. Either we will receive a reward. I believe this is probably the time when the potential of hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant, will be employed. Or we will suffer loss. One or the other. The loss is not a loss of salvation, but that which we thought was a great presentation of an offering to the Lord, when his holy fire is applied to it, it's gone. There's nothing left but a few ashes. This test will be a trial by fire. The Bible says in verse 13, to determine what sort it is. What is the quality? Will it last? Was it for God's glory? This test reveals the inner character and motivation. It determines that which is eternal and that which is temporal. It shows that which is done through our own strength or that which is done through the Holy Spirit enabling us. Again, the loss is not a loss of our salvation, but the loss of the opportunity to bring glory to God. Remember the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We didn't turn there, but let's turn there real quick. We've got time. I reference these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll begin in verse number 25. Bible says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body and bring it unto, into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Who is speaking? 
the Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest servant of God in the, in the New Testament, what was his concern? He was concerned that his life be of no account, that his life would not bear any kind of, uh, of fruit, that he would not receive any rewards. Now, there are five different crowns or rewards mentioned in the Bible that are potential for believers. Number one, there is what's called the incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25, we just read it. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Who, is, who receives the incorruptible crown? Those that exercise temperance and self-control, finishing their race. Like Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. An incorruptible crown. The second crown mentioned in the scripture is a crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, this is for those who are winning people to Christ, soul winners. It's not talking about how many, but those who are actively involved in the effort to give the gospel to others. And you, you tell enough people, eventually you'll have people who trust Christ. You'll have people get saved. Thirdly is a crown of life. James chapter 1 verse 2, it's for those who endure trials, especially Verse 12 talks about those who stay true even to the death. In teaching Baptist history, being, being reminded over and over and over again, people who believe just what we believe, who paid the ultimate price. Just uh, this week, shared with you, or last week, shared with the young people who, how there were 50,000 believers that were martyred in the Netherlands under... Um, Charles II, I believe it was. Because they believed in believer's baptism. Because they would not baptize infants. Because they would not bow to the papal authority, the Roman Catholic Church. 50,000 people in a 25-year reign. 2,000 people a year. Four people every week dying. For Jesus' name. James says there is a crown of life. Now, it doesn't indicate that you have to be a martyr to get it, but it does talk about those who endure trials. The fourth crown is a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4 8. It's for those who are looking forward to the Lord's return, who are those who are anxious and and living in light of Jesus' return, the crown of righteousness. And number five is the crown of glory. First Peter 5, 4 describes his crown for those pastors, those who minister to the flock, God has a, and are faithful in doing so, God has a reward for them. But the point of these crowns is not for personal glory. Let's all stack them up, pile them up, see if we can impress one another. No, like those elders in Romans 4, uh, Revelation chapter 4, our whole desire will be to place him at the feet of the one who gave us life and gave our life meaning. That's what Re Revelation chapter 4 
Verse 11 says, they said, or they will say in that day, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I can't tell you when the judgment seat of Christ is coming, but I do know as soon as the rapture takes place, all that we will ever do in service for the Lord in this body will be done. So what does that mean? That means we need to be busy now. There's coming a day when we cannot. There's coming a day when uh, we will stand there. There is coming a day when his holiness will clarify and make revealed whether our life was truly lived for the Lord or was lived for ourselves. You say, well, is there going to be regret in that day? I can't prove this, but I'll give you my opinion. My opinion is that later on in Revelation, it says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. If there is no regret at the judgment seat of Christ and no regret as we maybe observe loved ones going off into eternity in the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 21, there would be no need for the tears to be wiped away. Are you ready for that day? It's a sobering thought. And it's not, it, it is not a guilt motivation. We are to, with great anticipation, look for the Lord to return. But we are to live our lives understanding the judgment seat is a reality for every born-again believer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'd use your word, challenge us, Help us not to be careless or lazy, but rather to understand that there is a day when we will stand before you. And we want to do it with great joy. We want what our life has accomplished to count for eternity, not in comparison to anybody else, but just because you are worthy of our very best. So, Lord, help us to live that way today. So if you come tonight, if you come tomorrow, when you come, we are with great joy looking forward to the day when we're called forth to the Bema seat. And then we can lay our crowns at your feet. So stir our hearts, we pray. For it's in your name we ask it. Amen.